the author of those lyrics, the beloved American poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I, I loved Longfellow as a child. I, I read his poetry, memorized it. I remember one, The Children's Hour, uh, starts off um, between the dark and the daylight when the night is beginning to lower comes a pause in the day's occupation that is known as the children's hour. Now, when you take in consideration that I cannot remember my children's names half the time, and I can remember something I memorized in third grade, you'd be pretty impressed by, by that there. But um, Longfellow was a beloved poet. Uh, he was a man of great faith, but also a, a man who loved his family and knew deep hardship. The song, or the poem, Christmas Bells, was written in 1863, and this is the context for all this. I've told this story before, I know, in this place, but it's such a personal and powerful story to me. I just wanted to share it with you again. Longfellow lost his first wife in a miscarriage. He remarried, and this wife also tragically lost her life. She was involved in a household fire, a spark from a candle lit on her dress. And while Longfellow himself was trying to put that fire out, actually sustained major burns, many of them on his face. And so that trademark beard that we see on him in, in these images, that's the result of that situation. And just months after losing this wife, he, um, his oldest son approached him and said that he wanted to enlist in the Union cause to fight in the Civil War. His father was absolutely dead set against this. It caused tension in their home. And a short while later, he had received two letters in the mail. The first one was from Charles himself that said that he had secretly enlisted. And uh, the second one was from the Army informing, them, informing him that his son had been critically injured in the Battle of Church Falls in Virginia. So this is the context that Longfellow began to write this poem. And uh, I look at this and I realize that Longfellow comes in a long line of people of great faith who have experienced hardship, all the way back to the book of Job. People who've, been who've managed in their deep faith um, to stay strong in the face of tremendous loss or when they face injustices, or they have dreams cut short. We know these stories today. They're all too real to us. And like Job, there's a point where they lament in their despair. And like Job and Longfellow, they find strength and hope in their faith, that God is loving and just, and the wrong will fail, and the right will prevail. I know it hurts but I also know that my Redeemer lives. That's the observation that I've made time and again. Maybe you have too, that those who have built great storehouses of faith, when they are hit with these tremendous difficulties, they're shaken, but they're not crushed. They are discouraged, but they're not defeated. And often it's as little of a thing as walking down the street and hearing the Christmas bells that brings you back into the reality of the deep spiritual truths that you know in your heart. I can just envision Longfellow's scenario. I grew up in an old Civil War town. We lived in one of those homes. Not a, the stately mansion sort, but the kind that working class could afford in the inner city. And yet we were surrounded by uh, 
nine churches in three blocks, all with stately steeples, and they would ring their bells out for all the major seasons and the holidays. Sunday nights, sitting out on the back porch was just a lovely thing in the summer. At Christmas time, it really truly was a magical experience. And can you just envision Longfellow and the lonely, frozen streets of Massachusetts walking with nothing but his grief and saying those words, in despair, I bow my head. There's no peace on earth, I said. Hate so strong it mocks the song. And then you hear the bells. More loud and sweet, God isn't dead. He doesn't sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. There'll be peace on earth. Good will to men. And the sounds of the Christmas season reminded him in the long, dark night of his soul that nothing eternal has changed about his situation. God knows and he understands. You're not alone. God is with us, Emmanuel. And for all people of faith, that's our confidence. This is the peace that transcends beyond understanding. Jesus Christ is God who came and lived among us. This is one of the most important theological truths of all Scripture. It's the heart of the Christmas message, and it's unique to the God of the Bible. All those events that happened 2,000 years ago surrounding his birth are the bedrock realities that we embrace today. And they answer two of life's biggest questions. Is there an intelligent source in the universe? Yes, there is. God is his name. Can he be known? Absolutely. And more than can he be known, he wants us to know him, to be known by him. And he desires to engage us. He's not contrary or lives far off in some sort of unapproachable light. Rather, he engages in the affairs of we humans. Now, for some people, this idea of God taking on human form is blasphemous. It seems audacious to them. But you think about it. Um, what other way could God truly communicate himself to us than God becoming man? And then you think about the form in which God came to us. It was not the form of a strong man, a fully formed adult man. It was the form of a little tiny baby, a little vulnerable, helpless baby. Sheer genius to come in the most vulnerable and approachable form that humankind has to offer as a little tiny child. People lose all inhibitions around a baby. I know this is true. You have seen it. A baby comes into a room and they start melting like a stick of butter next to a warm stove. I was over here last weekend and there was a young mother, child of less than a month old, and I was visiting, and she got stranded down here, and I was helping her down the aisle. Way. She didn't get 30 feet before there were people just cooing and owing and awing all over this baby, babbling in some sort of strange language and, and <laughs> blowing bubbles on its belly and playing with its feet, doing all these horribly inappropriate things that you would do to another human. <laughs> and... We got up here about the aisleway here, and this woman's probably in this congregation today, and she knows she did this, but she walked up to this mom, and she said, may I smell your baby? 
And the mother, which I think would really take offense to this, just like they're like, this is the most normal thing in the world. It's like, well, absolutely. So this woman reaches down. I'm incredulous at this point, And there's a woman just a pew away, and she goes, don't you just love the smell of fresh baby? <laughs> now you tell me in what other context is this appropriate? I am a very loving, approachable human being, but there's not a single one of you in two and a half decades who ever walked up and grabbed my hairline and... <sighs> Don't you just love the smell of middle-aged pastor? <laughs> you don't... <laughs> now only with a child do you approach with such vulnerability. The image of a baby connects with us. And God laid down all of his defenses so that we might lay down all of ours. And so you hear a baby and it kind of connects you to that theolo theological truth. I see the nativities and I instantly connect to that deep truth in my, in my faith here. And when Longfellow heard those bells, it connected him and navigated him through his grief. The Christmas message, the theological truths, reminded him that God is here. And when he heard the bells, it also reminded him that God is not only here, but he cares and he understands. And he intersects himself into our human condition. And now other, no other religious text outside of the Bible speaks of God creating the world out of love and delight. But that's what it is. Some religions like Islam think it's disrespectful to have a God who loves too much. But that's who he is. God is love. God is of exceptional love. And we learn he's also a God who is holy and just, whose heart grieves among the injustices of our world who sees the unfairness, and he came to right the unwrongness. He's a man of, who wants to see unselfishness and good faith and right conduct and honesty and truthfulness. And if these things seem out of balance in your world today, take heart. God knows, he understands, and he's not absent from the affairs of what's going on. Hebrews tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unsympathetic to our situation here. He intersects on our behalf. Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf before the Father in heaven. And it goes on in, in Romans to say that he promises that all who love God, all things will ultimately work together for the good. Our God is completely capable to address whatever seeks to overwhelm you in your life. Now, you may not see the whole picture clearly, but he's not absent in your affairs. He knows, and we can have confidence that he will, in his perfect timing, orchestrate the absolute best possible outcome. Now, it may not happen in that moment, but his outcomes are eternal and lasting. I need to be sensitive with this next illustration here so you understand if I'm a little vague here, but earlier this week, I had to go downstairs in our home um, they might have an elf on the shelf. I need to go down and check and make sure ours was okay at 4.30 in the morning. 
So uh, I am trying not to wake anybody up, and so we are in, I'm in absolute darkness here, which I just love that it's the Father's responsibilities to check on these things, these wonderful family traditions. And so here I am, mid-morning, and realizing that the darkest part of the day, or the evening, is not at midnight. At midnight, you still have Christmas tree lights and ambient light kind of floating in from the city. But at 4.30 in the morning, all of that is gone. The home is a cave. It is. You can't see your hands in front of your face. Kind of dark. That the darkest part of the night really truly is just before it's ready to dawn. And if you have no sort of prescient knowledge about the darkness, you could easily delude yourself into thinking that the darkness has completely taken over. It could lead you into deep despair. But, you know, I'm a reasonable man, and uh, I've got decades of natural history to tell me that that simply isn't going to be the case here. I will finish my responsibility. I'll go upstairs. I'll take a shower, come down for my quiet time. And by that time, morning's light will begin to come into the home and it will fill the light the home in a matter of just a couple of hours i have that confidence and so when i walk around the pitch darkness and i stumble you know and hit my toe i'm not left with a veil of despair and so too for the people who have deep warehouses of faith in their life that when they walk through and they stumble they know that it may seem dark right now but there is a lightness that will follow this darkness because of what we have seen in the history of our God. He knows, he cares, he understands, and he will sustain us. And just like Job, who had no clue how his story was going to turn out, he could still declare, I know that my Redeemer lives. In this world, we have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now, I suspect there might be a skeptic or two in our midst today who are going, okay, so now Longfellow has gone through all these tragic losses, and you're going to just tell me hearing a Christmas carol on some bells made it better for him. And I'm going to have the audacity to say, yeah, it did. Just because it wasn't so much the carols, it was the truth behind the carols that brought context to his suffering and helped him to live on for another day. And that's what happens in our divine relationship with Jesus Christ when we share that history. He delights to intersect into our life, to bring us encouragement at just the right time. And sometimes he does it through the word. Sometimes he uses the word of encouragement of another. Sometimes it's these little episodes that happen this way. And in this room, there are tons of people who could give testimony to Jesus Christ operating exactly that way. Again, we don't have time to hear all your stories, so I'll just share one of ours in our home. A lot of you are not aware that my wife, Amanda, had an older brother who committed suicide. And if you've ever dealt with that sort of, li- that sort of loss in your home, you know it brings a just waves upon waves of grief and questions. You just struggle with things like, if we would have done something differently, you could have done this, and, uh, and you, you ask those sort of questions. And then you also wrestle with double grief. The grief of the loss of your child. The grief of what the future may have been with that child. And so you go through all this and you wrestle through it. And I've been in this family's life for the better part of a decade. They're wonderful, faith-filled people. and Very balanced and strong in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And 
I've wondered how they've ever, how they successfully managed through such a, a deep, horrific loss. And one day I was with my father-in-law, Ron. We were out doing a project, one of my projects in his pickup truck. And as we were, were driving along, I asked Ron that question. I said, how do you get over the loss of a child? And his response to me is that you don't get over it. And I'm sure that you want to get over it. You just figure out ways to navigate through it. And you use your faith to help you with this. And then he recounted the pivotal moment for him. As he was driving home and he was feeling a wave upon wave of this grief, that he was just sobbing behind the wheel to the point that he didn't think he could drive safely through his tears. And he pulled the car over, and just as he pulled the car over, a sparrow glanced off the windshield. And he said in that moment, the words of Matthew 10 came to his heart. Are not two sparrows worth just a penny? And yet I know when one of those fall, God says, I know all the hairs on your head. And if I care for the sparrows to that degree of attention, am I not caring that much more for what's going on in your world and your pain and in your brokenness? And what he shared with me that was at that moment, he was given the confidence and the strength, just a visual reminder of the truths that are there in God's word that we can hold because we have this relationship with him. And people, God delights to intersect in the affairs of our world. He delights to be alongside of us, to nurture and encourage us, and to use things as simple as a sparrow that falls or a chime that brings us back to the greater realities of our faith. And if you're suffering, and if you're struggling today, if you're dealing with disappointment or brokenness, we invite you to invite Jesus Christ to come alongside you, to be your ally, and to navigate you. And maybe just to look a little more thoughtfully um, as you see the nativities and as you hear the carols, that there's great theology that God is speaking to you today. He's with us. He cares and understands.